Good morning, everybody. Today's reading is Psalm 9, all of it, verses 1 to 20. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. Well, if you uh, know me, you know that I'm a person who uh, does have a sense of humour and I like to goof around and have a bit of a joke. Um, and so in my response to hearing about Helen getting uh, married to Ben and Ben getting married to Helen, I thought I'd take a different approach this morning. I'd say something a bit more sincere, and that is uh, we're very excited about the prospect of uh, Ben joining our family. So there we go. I'm not trying to be too hokey and jokey. <laughs> well, let's come before our Lord now in, uh, in a more uh, serious time that where we, we give our thoughts to our Lord God and our place before him. Uh, let us pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for this rich time that we share together as your people now to consider this psalm. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand it and also to understand our place before you. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder when it is that you cry out to God for help. Can you think of those times when it's come pretty easily to you to call to God for help in your life? As a high school student, uh, I experienced a, a bit of a coaching session about prayer, a 
some teaching from a, a man who came and toured and gave ancient history uh, talks and education. It was a special day each time he came to our school each year. He was a pretty eccentric kind of guy. He told us about all these injuries that he'd had from uh, sword fights where he'd had mock, mock battles with people and had problems with his hearing and cuts in different places. And uh, he had all these um, fantastic weapons too. He had big swords from the medieval times. He had big shields, helmets, chain mail, the whole bit. And uh, the kids used to be allowed to pick some of these things up actually, but uh, that sort of all stopped when one kid picked up the big sword and lifted it behind his head and cut a girl behind his, um, standing behind right down the front there. So that, that all changed. Um, but we learned a few things from Mr. Lee back in those days. And I'd like to tell you some of those stories, but it's just going to get too far away from where we are this morning looking at this psalm. So you'll have to talk to me at morning tea about that. But one of the things that we did learn from Mr. Lee was about prayer. And he told us that before the soldiers uh, ended up on the battlefield, in that anxious time before they, they were facing each other and ready to, to go head to head in battle, he told us that some of the soldiers actually prayed. But it was a kind of prayer of unbelief that they prayed. He said, the soldiers prayed this prayer. Dear God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul. Isn't that an interesting prayer? And it struck me that even some unbelievers find that prayer can come pretty naturally to them, given the difficult situations. Even unbelievers can find that prayer comes naturally to them when they're in a great deal of distress. But I started to wonder too, what about Christians? How easy does prayer come to us? Do we find ourselves coming to the Lord in prayer all the time? When is it that you come to prayer and when do I come to the Lord in prayer? Well, the question is, do we actually have to wait till we're in a, a very deep crisis, a, a no-win situation, before we come to the Lord in prayer? Well, as we read uh, Psalm 9 today, this is a chance for us to reflect on our relationship with God, uh, when we might think it's a good time to come to the Lord in prayer. And we can think about what, what kind of things we will take to God in prayer as well. So let's take a journey now through Psalm chapter 9 and then think about our lives and our relationship with the Lord God. Well, this psalm was actually written uh, in a particular way called an acrostic. Uh, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet uh, was coming at the first line of, of this psalm. Each of the lines had a, a letter of the alphabet attached to them. Uh, and so... What we find is, uh, if you look at Psalm 10 next to it, there's no, there's no heading for Psalm 10. And that's because at one stage, uh, this, this alphabet, with the first letter of each of the words uh, coming to each of, the, each of the lines, it continues through uh, Psalm chapter 10 as well. And so in the past, some of the manuscripts have had Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 together as one big psalm. But other, other manuscripts have separated them into two psalms, which we have 
before us today, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10. Now, for the most part, it follows this alphabetical structure, um, but not every letter is actually included. And so there seem to be some bumpy changes in the ideas as we read this psalm. Some people say it's a little bit jerky as we um, read this psalm. But apart from that structure, um, enough about thoughts on the structure and how it unfolds, what are we actually confronted in this psalm? What's it got to say to people like us? Well, from the beginning, it looks like a hymn of praise, doesn't it? It sounds like a, a psalm of praise to God. In verse 1 and 2, he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I'll tell of your wonderful deeds. I'll be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. And yet, did you notice that when he's saying he's going to be praising God, it's, it's kind of in the future. I will give thanks. I will tell. I will be glad and rejoice and I will sing. It's as if the psalmist is confident that uh, he's going to give a great deal of praise to God, but it's still in the future. And right now, he seems to be in that time before he's ready to give all this praise to God. Well, we see good news starts to take shape in verse 3. My enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. This is before the face of the Lord. And a reason is given in verse 4. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. And so the psalmist is confident that God is going to sort things out, that the enemies uh, in his life are going to be neutralised, that God acts to help the psalmist. He's very confident of these things. But it may be that this is a future situation that he's thinking about that in some ways he may be looking back from. For we see later in this psalm that this is not so much a, a testimony psalm about what God has done. It's actually going to become a psalm that's more of a prayer and a plea asking God for help. That's what we see this psalm's more about. We see that later in verses 13 and verse 19 and 20. But before we get to that point, before we see him crying out to God for help, he does recount God's goodness and God's power to Israel in the past. So he, he goes through uh, God's mightiness to care for his people and then calls on people to praise God for his actions. Let's pick that up in verse 5. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Now, if you think about uh, some of the enemies of God's people in the past, remember Pharaoh uh, was brutal to the people. And uh, in the book of Exodus, we get the names of the, um, the midwives, Shipra and Pua, uh, but we don't actually get the name of Pharaoh. Did you notice that? His name's been blotted out. It's a way of saying this guy, he was a worthless so-and-so, so his name's not even going to go down recorded in history. And here we see that they've, their names are blotted out, the enemies of God forever and ever. Verse 6, endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You've uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. 
he has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. And these verses uh, bring to mind God's goodness to Israel. They recount God's uh, defeat of enemies in the past, his deliverance of his people out of Egypt into the good promised land. God judged the nations of that land for their idolatry. And he's pictured as a king who reigns, who rules in justice. And he's pictured as a king who cares for his people. He doesn't ignore the cries of the afflicted. And so it's with that thought in mind that God is a refuge for those who are oppressed, that God is a king who remembers. It's with that thought in mind, the character and the goodness of God, that we read in verse 13, the psalmist cry for help. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. And so at this point in the psalm, we see a plea, don't we? There's a prayer to God for help. Have mercy on me. See, see the trouble I'm going through with my enemies. Help me out. He wants God to act, and he wants God to act right away. And he tries to draw a contrast, perhaps, between himself and the people of the nations, the nations who forget God, and the needy whom he knows God won't forget. In verse 15, he says, The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. On the one hand, the nations have no regard for God. They, they forget about God and they learn as they perish that ultimately they're not God and that they are accountable to the living and true God. And on the other hand, we see that God doesn't forget the needy. Uh, as we saw in verse 10, those people who seek God, God doesn't forget. And finally, towards the end of the psalm, the psalmist urges God to act once again in verse 19. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know that they are only mortal. And here we are reminded of God. It's a comforting thought that God's enthroned as king. He does rule and reign. But we're reminded even of the time in the Exodus when the, uh, the Lord who's enthroned above the cherubim goes out to fight the battles for his people. And uh, as the Lord goes out, Moses said, whenever the, the ark set out before the people of Israel, Moses said, Arise, Lord, and let your enemies 
be scattered before you. And so this, uh, this word about arise, Lord, is, is the psalmist asking God to go out for him and to fight his enemies for him. Well, the psalmist calls to God for help to deal with the threats in a fallen world. In particular, he wants to be delivered, doesn't he, from his enemies. And we can appreciate the psalmist's concerns in many ways, can't we? As God's people, we know that in our heart of hearts, we, we do want to praise the Lord. We do want to love the Lord and, and praise his name. As God's people, we know something of his power and his character from the way that he's made the world and from what his word reveals about God's character to deliver his people. And like the psalmist, we also know what it means to live in a fallen world where we experience different kinds of threats to our well-being. And some of the threats to our well-being can even be other people. And another thing we have in common with the psalmist is that when we're in a tight spot, it's easy to want to come to the Lord in prayer and to pray that God will help us out. But there are some differences too that we have to the psalmist. We live in a different stage of salvation history, don't we? So as we think about how this psalm applies to us, we first of all have to ask, how does Jesus fulfil this psalm? How does Jesus fulfil this word from the Lord? Well, formerly, uh, God's people in the past lived as what might be described as a theocracy. Uh, God was their king. He was in the temple. The glory spirit filled it and the tribes were gathered around God. And uh, God ruled them by his word, the law. The enemies of God's people in the past were people like the Philistines, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But since that time of the old covenant, uh, things have changed. Jesus has come now. He's established the new covenant. And the spirit of God goes out into all the world. In fact, as God's people now, we're, we're in the world as well. We're, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so we certainly live at a different stage of salvation history to the psalm writer. And as we think about enemies, the New Testament speaks about enemies in a different way to the enemies of the Old Testament. It's not the, the Philistines anymore. In fact, the chief enemies that the New Testament speaks about are sin and death. The message of the New Testament is that Jesus has dealt with those enemies. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul can say, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Well, I take it that law, the law uh, is the power of sin because the law names sin. It shows sin up in our lives, adultery, theft, coveting, the list goes on. And the law exposes us as people who do sin and yet have to stand before a, a holy God who doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate ours or anyone else's. 
And so the sting of death is sin because not only do we die, we have to meet the living and true God who will judge sin. Yet there's uh, some good news in all of this, and that is these enemies of sin and death have been defeated. Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This uh, victory that Jesus gives from sin and death is also echoed earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. And so through Jesus, we do have a victory over these enemies. Now, it's true that um, when we face death, that's not a, a wonderful time. Uh, there's naturally sorrow. Life is a blessing and a gift from God. And yet the Bible tells us that um, when we face death, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And furthermore, as a result of Jesus being raised from the dead, uh, we look forward to being raised with the Lord also. And that, that future life that we, we look forward to, when that happens, Paul says, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so this, uh, this threat, this enemy death, uh, it gets swallowed up in victory as we look forward to a, the kingdom of God coming and us having raised bodies with the Lord Jesus. And so the good news is that we have victory over sin and death. And so as we reflect back on the psalm that we've looked at, I suppose we could say that in, a, in an ultimate way, God's given victory over enemies. In verse 13, we read, Lord, see how, many, how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death. Well, God's had mercy on us in Christ and he's given us the victory over sin and death and we rejoice. We rejoice in that salvation. And yet until that time when we are raised up to be with the Lord, God's word still challenges us to be a bit like the psalmist. The psalmist still goes to the Lord in his times of, of struggle and trouble. And so God's word also challenges us as members of the new covenant to be like the psalmist and to come to the Lord in prayer. And that's what we see Paul challenging the church to do in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so it's true, we can come to uh, the living and true God in a time of crises, can't we? And there will be crises in our lives. But we don't only have to wait for a crisis to come before we come to the Lord in prayer. We're challenged to pray for all kinds of things, aren't we? We can pray for our friends to come to know the Lord. Jesus also calls us to pray for those who persecute us. Above all, whatever health problem we're faced with, but even good things, we can uh, come to the Lord and praise him and give thanks 
for the wonderful things that God, God does in our lives and how he provides for us. Above all, the right approach is the one that the psalmist had where he, he comes to the Lord in prayer. And that's the way that God calls us to live now as his people also in this time before his kingdom comes in all its fullness and all enemies are put away. Well, I mentioned earlier that my history teacher taught us a bit about prayer, the experience of soldiers who faced each other on the battlefield, facing each other as enemy. Some of them prayed a prayer of unbelief. Dear God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul. But what about us? What kind of prayer do we pray? Well, we pray to the living and true God, don't we? And we pray with a great deal of assurance because of God's work in bringing us salvation through his son. And as we pray, we pray with the assurance that we've got victory over sin and death, these great enemies. And we have the assurance that as we pray to God, we have salvation from our souls. And so with that knowledge of salvation, we, we pray a, a prayer of belief. And God's word challenges us to keep bringing uh, all the aspects of our life to God in prayer as well. well. Let us give thanks to God for his mercy to us in Christ and come to the Lord in a word of prayer now. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks for the victory uh, that we enjoy in Christ, a victory over uh, the sin and death. Lord, we give you thanks that uh, we aren't condemned, but we stand uh, right before you in your grace, experiencing your mercy and forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for that great salvation. Lord, help us not to be people who only come to you in times of crises, uh, when we're faced with very difficult situations. But Lord, help us instead to become, come to you as people who want to praise your name who bring all kinds of requests to you uh, as we depend on you for life and health and every good. Lord, we continue to pray for also those who may persecute us as we seek to live as your faithful people. And Lord, we also pray for uh, friends and family who we seek to share the good news with. We pray that you'd change their hearts and help them to enjoy life with you as well. Lord, we thank you that you're sovereign over all things, that you are the king who reigns. And we give you thanks that you care for us and provide for us. Lord, we give you thanks for this time that we share today as your people. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.